Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. We're in a vision series as a church called Only God, where we're discovering that the plans and the dreams that we have for our lives are often small compared to what God desires to do in and through us. Enjoy the message. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're in a season for us as a church called Only God because we're experiencing the types of things that only God can get credit for. The amount of life change that we've experienced the amount of personal breakthrough on people's parts, just testimony of God's faithfulness, people getting baptized, people joining church, God's miraculous provision, just crazy things that only God can do. And we're like, how do we frame this season? Acts is how we frame this season. So we're doing a flyby in the book of Acts, and there's going to be a lot of paraphrasing for me over the next month or so as we land the plane on this series because we were front heavy. We said Acts chapter 1 Uh, Jesus commissions his church, says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But before you do that, please wait. Pray, wait on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you in a way. If you do it in your own strength, in your own flesh, it's just not going to hit the same. You're not going to be able to accomplish it. So even though they've already experienced resurrected Jesus, now they're doing things not only by the resurrection of Jesus, but by his power, his spirit in them. The only thing better than him walking alongside of them, doing ministry alongside of them, is his spirit in them. That's Acts chapter 1. His spirit comes, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost comes. God empowers the local church. People with real boldness begin to just confess Jesus as Lord. And, and it's not that they're angry about it. It's just that they're not f- afraid. Like they're just robbed of fear. And so... Uh, Peter gets up and addresses uh, thousands of people come to faith in Christ. Thousands of people are baptized. We begin to see in Acts 3, 4, and 5 miracles take place. The church starts to get persecuted because it gets crazy for everybody. Everybody's like, calm down a little bit about this Jesus thing. And so um, the the powers that be, the, the Sanhedrin, the high Jewish council, they begin to arrest leaders inside of the movement. And that just adds fuel to the fire. They have prayer gatherings and they're like, God, give us more boldness. And it just adds to the numbers. And so by the time we get to Acts chapter six, the early church has to figure out what do we do with all these people? We've got to reorganize ourselves because the way that we've been doing this is like not going to work as we scale. There's only just a few apostles and, you know, there's a lot of people. So how do we care for them? And they institute this role as a servant leader. They use the term, you've heard of it before, a deacon or diakonos. And then it, it means table waiter. It means a servant, basically. They just, people are like, I'll be a servant. Tell me what to do. What do you need? What do you need help with? Who can we care for? What span of care look like for us as a church family? We break that down in terms of people who are leading groups, people who are serving on Dream Team. We have people who are servant leaders who own the vision at that level. And then we see uh, this one of these guys who's tapped for this role. His name is Stephen. Real audacious, real bold, crazy faith type things. And uh, he's arrested and he's going to be killed. And, and right before he's killed, he just preaches at him. Like, you know, because that's what, that's what you and I would do right before we go. He just preaches at him and he just tells him about who Jesus is. And, 
And uh, it's wild, but there's this guy who's present at the death of Stephen. His name is Saul, and you know him as Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's present in chapter 7, and, uh, and it, God begins to mess with him a little bit. Okay, so chapter 9, God really begins to deal with Saul. Again, you and I know him as Paul, but we're going to pick up in chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners of Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So, so this guy, Saul, persecuting the church there at the murder of Stephen. Uh, he's making sure men and women are in prison, by the way. His, he's making it his, his life's work to stifle the way of Jesus. And Jesus decides, I want that guy on my team. And it's so, it's so great because so he's on his way to Damascus and, and he's still, I mean, the Bible tells us he's still issuing his murderous threats and, and Jesus gets a hold of his life. And I love it that he does it when Saul is not team Jesus. Like he doesn't even desire, doesn't even know it's coming. And, and, and uh, Paul, Saul later becomes Paul. He reflects on this moment in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 5, he says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul says, Hey, I had, I had this, oh, man, I remember my own salvation. I was real jacked up, is what he's thinking. He's like, I, I remember how terrible of a human I was. And Jesus met me on this road, and I get to experience the resurrected Christ. And I didn't deserve it, but that's how much he loves me. When I wasn't doing the right thing, when I wasn't, when I wasn't preaching his gospel, when I wasn't planting churches, when I wasn't leading, when I wasn't willing to sacrifice in his name, but when I was just the, the worst version of me is when Jesus met me. And it's such an encouragement to me. And so Paul, it's, it's love. Paul says it's love that motivated Jesus to give himself up on the cross. And then John reiterates this in his, his account of the life of Jesus. He says that God so loves the world when he sends his son, he sends it not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, which is such a great reminder uh, that we're not supposed to be a people who carry a message of condemnation. We're supposed to be a people who carry a message of salvation. And it's always only good news. And so it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've done, or who your mom is. Like, it's always only good news when it's the right news. And so uh, while Jesus gave his life for the Apostle Paul and for you and for me and for all of us, he prayed for the forgiveness, forgiveness of those that he put on the cross. And this passage is sobering to me in Luke 23, verse 33. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said about the people who put him on the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And, and I think that's such a great. So this is God's approach to the Apostle Paul as he persecutes the early church. 
hey, forgive him. He has no idea. Like if he knew, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing right now. And I love it because this is God's approach to us in Christ. God forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And, and, and you and I, as followers of Jesus, this should be our posture as people say things, do things against us, like as we experience pain, suffering, stuff that happened to us, our posture should be, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and I know sometimes we look at the situation, we're like, yeah, but they know what they're doing. But, but he's like, no, not really. Like if they, if they really knew, if they had the perspective of God, like if they could see things the way that God sees things, they would not be doing what they're doing. They would not have said that. They would have not have hurt you in that way. They wouldn't have abused you in that way. They wouldn't have left you. They wouldn't have like, so if they knew, uh, if they knew, Father, forgive them. And so uh, it's such a powerful statement. Here we find Saul in Acts 9. He's opposing Jesus outright. And he's an enemy of the followers of Jesus. But the amazing thing about the grace of God is that in God's grace, the past that you created for yourself doesn't disqualify you from the future that God has for you. If anything, it sets you up. It just sets you up. That's an encouragement. The fact is that God loves you, has been pursuing you, and you need forgiveness, and you need reconciliation. You need, you need a relationship with him. And we see it in Saul, too. Jesus meets Saul on the road to Damascus. And in verse 5, here's what Saul says. He says, who are you, Lord? Which is exactly what you say whenever you could see, and then now you can no longer see. And it was like, you get knocked off a horse. That's what you say. He's like, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, Jesus says. Now get up, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so I love this part of the passage because it speaks to the human condition. The fact that Saul experiences physical blindness, but it really points to a spiritual blindness. And you and I have that same spiritual blindness. And so pre-Christ real blind post Christ, you still can gain clarity. So like, so, so same God that saves you, sanctifies you and things will become more clear as you follow Jesus, as you find and follow Jesus. So there's, there's always more like you can know God, but you can know him more and you can find freedom, but there's more and you can, and, and you can discover purpose, but he still wants more for you. He's like, man, I've just kind of capped out, kind of hit my ceiling. Like I've arrived. He's like, no. And, and so there's more clarity. You can see, you can see more. And we've all been blind at one point. Saul's blindness is pointing to his spiritual blindness. You may be here right now and you're thinking, you're thinking, man, I feel close to a church experience and I feel like I'm doing the right things. I'm kind of like, I'm doing all the things that church is asking of me, both here at Soma and previously. I just don't feel any closer to God. I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing a lot of things, um, but I feel far from him. And like I've, I keep making these same mistakes and I keep screwing up in these same ways and I've kind of ruined my life and I'm thinking there's no way for God to forgive somebody like me. And, and or for or maybe God could forgive me, but he's never going to use me in profound ways. And that's kind of where some of us live. But brokenness and humility are required for receiving God's grace. And it's a part of the recipe. Let that sit for a minute. In order for you even to receive God's grace, you got to jack it up. Like and he knows you will. So he's like, I mean, that's the key ingredient in all of this is like, hey, I know you're human. I know. And, and our posture should just be dependent, being dependent on him. 
And out of a place of humility, God, would you use me in spite of my weakness? And it's why we need the cross. It's why we need a savior and why Jesus's resurrection is the hope of your own resurrection. It's not about his resurrection. It's about what his resurrection means for you. He didn't need to die and rise again. You needed to rise again. And so that was the whole point of it. And so the fact is we've been blind. You've been blind. I've been blind. You need a moment where you realize I've been blind. If you've never had that moment, you need that moment. I've been blind. There's two types of spiritual blindness, and they really come from one. There's just one overall type of blindness, which is when you think that you know better than God or you don't need God. And it manifests itself in two ways. So one way is, um, is you just are selfish and you're living for yourself and you could just give a rip about the things of God or care or don't believe or don't share that conviction. Making decisions that benefit only you and decisions that, that, that are made in a moment. So, you know... Uh, sin, essentially. Like you choose to do the opposite of what you know God's asking you to do. And sin, is, sin can be fun temporarily. People are like, sin's not fun. You're doing it wrong if, if, you're, if, you're not in, if you're not having fun while you're doing it. It is fun temporarily, but it doesn't hold. And it brings emptiness and it brings shame and it brings fear and it brings anxiety. It brings, so, it's, so it might feel good for a moment, but it brings a string of broken relationships and moral failings and disappointments and emptiness. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, so one of the ways that we experience spiritual blindness is just doing what we want when we want it. And then we, we get to experience the consequences of our sin. Another way that we experience spiritual blindness, and this is going to be the way the majority of us experience it, is um, we, we also think we don't need God in that we're going, to, we're going to accomplish what we need to accomplish spiritually by religious activity. So I'm going to be good enough to earn his approval. And, and the problem is we all sin, we all struggle, and then we try and outweigh the bad things with good things, let me just be smart enough, good enough. Let me. I'm going to get perfect attendance. I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything that they're asking me to do at church, but be fundamentally let down with the results because it's not a heart transformation. It's just religious activity. You're just doing stuff, and it doesn't matter what church you do it at because it's like the seventh church, and you're like, I can't. I can't get breakthroughs. Like, stop doing that. Be fully dependent on Jesus for heart transformation. This is what Martin Luther called the evil of our good deeds. So the guy who. Um, you know, this, this Protestant father, you know, the, the Reformation, Reformation movement, 95 Thesis, the guy who um, really wasn't even intending to kind of start a whole revolution, but he kind of did. Like, he had this moment where he was just frustrated with the Christian life because he was trying to be good enough, and he was trying to work his way to righteousness, and he was confessing over and over again, and the people who were working with him that he was confessing to, he was like, stop confessing. We know you're depraved. Like, we know you're a wicked man. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, but I don't, I don't know what else to do. Like, I don't, and, and it's the moment where it clicked for him. Oh, I can only be saved by grace. Like, there's no amount of religious activity or focus or fasting or prayer or reading my Bible or attending church or doing any of the disciplines that are going to bring about outside of God really getting a hold of my heart. There's nothing that can bring real transformation. And so he comes up with this whole idea of being saved by grace. But then... He says this, he says that we have the evil of our good deeds, which is when we know that we need to repent of our sin, but we also need to repent of the bad motives for our righteousness, which means this, some of us are doing things so that we can get credit. Yes, sir. 
And he's like, hey, God sees your heart. We talked about giving even as a church, like not out of compulsion or obligation. God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to give or serve or read scripture or pray or do any of those types of things only out of a place of religious duty, but out of a place of real heart transformation. I desire to know more of you. I desire to grow in my relationship with you. God, I want all that you have. And Luther says, hey, it's really important that you take inventory and go, how's my heart? Because good works done from a spiritually dead heart is an attempt to self-justify. And here's what it looks like. You're tired. Constant comparison. Like, how am I stacking up with the competition? And, and we've all been there. And you may be there right now. You're like, that hits me so hard. Because but we're human. That's where we live. It goes from comparison and then from comparison to either pride or despair. Neither are good. Pride if things are going well and despair if they're not. Because everything is contingent on your, your ability to succeed or your, the perception of success. Everything is contingent on your ability to like produce by the world standards. And so when things are going well, man, glory to God. Woo! Yeah. But if things are going bad, you're like, I'm terrible. You know, instead of having our contentment in Jesus and instead of having our joy in Jesus, instead of having our freedom there, instead of having our fulfillment in what God's called us to do, um, Luther's like, hey, don't lean too heavily on on, you know, comparison. Don't lean too heavily on, you know, it's just going to lead to you being so tired if it's always about religious activity. And so. This is where we see Saul, Saul, who is a Pharisee of Pharisees, Saul, who is extremely religious and also extremely angry. You know what I'm talking about? This is why some people outside of the church are like, I know some Christians that I hate them. They're just like the meanest, nastiest people. I'm like, I know them too. You know, but, but like that's the religious, like that's that religious piece that gets on us a little bit where it becomes us versus them instead of being reminded, oh, yeah. I am also real jacked up and need Jesus all the time. You know what I mean? And, and it used to, I used to be, you know, I'm not who I used to be, but definitely like by God's standards, I'm just still not hitting the mark outside of Jesus and a relationship with him. I'm still kind of not great, you know? And so, so it's, it's easy to forget that. And so Saul, he's good at being religious and keeping a lot of rules, but man, he's just struggling. He has a nasty heart. And so you may be here today and and you're thinking, I'm good at checking boxes, I'm good at playing church, but honestly, my heart is off, and I feel it, and other people feel it. Uh, the people closest around me feel it, okay? And so, and so just asking God, and again, what, God, what only God can do, asking God to do, hey, Lord, would you search me, and would you know my heart? And would you help me to see the areas of my life that I'm making it about the wrong things and I'm just focused on the wrong things. And he'll do it in your life just like he did the Apostle Paul. Being religious means you've got to earn it. But Jesus dying in your place, paying the penalty for your sin and clothing you in his righteousness, giving you his resurrection power and new life and a new heart. That's a different message than be good. That's a lame message in comparison then you were dead and now you're alive. Be alive. Like that's an amazing message. And so look at what happens in verse nine. It says they led him by the hand into Damascus and they did because he was blind. They had to lead that brother for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Verse 10 in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord. He said, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas 
on Straight Street. What? I love they put that in there. Like, why would you even put that in there? It's so great. The Bible's so awesome. The Lord's like, all right, I just go to Straight Street. And, uh, like, you wouldn't put that in there outside of, like, God actually said. He's like, no, nah, Lord said Straight Street. Like, we're going to put it in. So go to Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. All right. Now, all right. So before uh, Saul becomes Paul, before he has this spiritual breakthrough, there's a couple things. He experiences resurrected Jesus. He sees him so much so that he can't see anymore. <laughs> and, and then the second thing is he's praying. Bible also says he's fasting. He hadn't e- he's not eating or drinking for three days and he's praying. Here's how you're going to know who this guy is. He's blind, but also he's praying. When you get there, he'll be praying. And, and I've taken his sight, but I've given him a vision. Look at this next. Look at this next verse. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias uh, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And again, he's talking to Ananias. Hey, I've already given him a vision. I'm giving you a heads up. I'm giving him a heads up. This is what's going to take place. And so God uses this guy, Ananias, uh, in a powerful way. Now, if you remember Acts 4 or 5, there's another guy named Ananias, different Ananias. It's unfortunate, popular name, but that brother's dead. So this guy is Acts, Acts you know, you read that on your own time. But on Acts 9, this guy gets commissioned to go and um, restore sight to the Apostle Paul. And we make a big deal about the Apostle Paul. If you spend any time in church at all, more than Jesus, his name is mentioned, more than any other name. But I'm like, what about Ananias? How crazy is that? Yeah, I, if I was Ananias, I would flex so hard. I'm going to tell you something about my flesh. Uh, but, but, and this is why God hasn't, hasn't done this for me yet. You know what I mean? Like, but it's like laying hands on Billy Graham or something. You know, like, I'm restoring his sight. Like, so it's, but, but he just, like, it's a big deal. Like, God uses Ananias in a powerful way to restore sight, to bring spiritual formation to the Apostle Paul, to have this spiritual breakthrough for the Apostle Paul. And God could have chosen any vehicle to do that. He could just, like, snap and made it happen. He could do that now, but here's how God chooses to work in and through the world. Here's how he accomplishes his vision, his mission, you. That's, that's how he chooses, and it's so wild. It's like, why? Here's why, because as you do it, you get changed. You know, you know when you hit a ceiling in your Christian walk, and you're like, dude, I'm doing all the things. Here's the level up. Do the things he's asking you to do, the things that are scary and awkward and hard. Step out of your comfort zone and like go lay hands on a brother that could potentially kill you. Like, you know, like whatever, like whatever he asked you to do. I'm not saying it's that, but I'm just saying like whatever he asked you to do and then watch what happens to you as you help somebody else experience their spiritual sight. And so that's what happens to Ananias in this passage. And God pursues Saul through Ananias and God pursues us for the follower of Jesus. It is no coincidence that the way that you were first introduced to Jesus was from a family member, was from a coach, was from somebody on your team, somebody at work, was an extended family. I don't know what got you in the room, but it was a person more than likely. It was a person who spent time with you, prayed for you, bought you your first Bible, brought you to church, like did whatever they could do on their behalf to get you to a place where you experience breakthrough in Christ. There's things that only God can do. And then there's things that Ananias, what, what now Ananias isn't restoring any sight. Ananias isn't bringing any salvation. What do you do? I want you to walk to straight street. 
All right, cool. I want you to lay hands on that brother. And I want you to ask me to do what only I can do. Your only job is just to walk to straight street, find that dude who's blind and praying, and just like lay hands on him. And then watch me do what only I can do. And so look at verse 13. It says, Lord, Ananias answered, <laughs> I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, a.k.a. Let's hold up. Time out. Like, let's talk about the, what we're doing. Like, he, I, love, I love it because Ananias begins to debate with God. Bro, is this a good idea? Like, this is not a great idea right now. And again, because in his mind, and this is what we do all the time when God asks us to step out in faith and do something crazy. And we're like, yeah, Lord, but um, there is like reality. You know, like we're like we're like looking at the nature of our relationships or our budget or our or our gifts or our talent or our testimony. Yeah, I'm just I don't have that many degrees. I don't know anybody. I'm not even that smart. He's like, exactly. Like, just, you know, like, just do what I'm asking you to do and watch what happens. So look at verse 15. Here's his reply to Ananias. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Like, why are we talking? This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so verse 16, don't gloss over that. You're going to want to highlight that one. That's a really key, key, key verse. But the one I really want to lean on is where he says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings. And God's saying to Ananias, I determine the scope of my grace, and it is great. You don't get to decide who gets to be Team Jesus. I do. And guess what? Whosoever will may come, including that dude. Like, so I, I choose him. It's like, yeah, but he's like a murderer and he's against the way and he's really pushing. He spent his life's work just like making it hard for this thing to move forward. And God's like, exactly. That's why I want that guy on my team. I'm about to use him in profound ways. And so it's just a reminder that God qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified because some of you are waiting until you have it all together to like use your story to make much of Jesus and to make an impact in the earth. But God will qualify the called. If he's called you, and he has, by the way, he will qualify you. Like he'll bring about the qualifications needed in order, in order to step into the call. It reminds me of the story of John Newton. John Newton was the 18th century uh, captain of a slave ship in England. And God got a hold of his heart. And he began to repent of his life and he began to repent of his work and he ends up becoming an abolitionist and he like an outspoken abolitionist and, and, uh, and he's also, um, the one who penned these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. And we still sing that, but here's why it's so powerful. Cause he lived it. Like he had a moment where he was like, Oh, I am real jacked up. And, 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 but he was willing to like trust Jesus and then make it about getting as many people into the fold, as many people who could hear that message of hope and grace, so much so that we're still singing it. Let that hear from him. That's how powerful grace is. That's how powerful God is. And so there's two things about the message of Jesus as, as we look at this passage, it's hard for us to swallow. And it was, it's, it was hard for people at the time to swallow. It's, it's hard for us today to swallow that you and I are so bad that Jesus had to die in our place is an offensive message. 
and it's hard. But also that God is so full of grace that he's willing to do so. That's also hard. And, and people get stuck on parts of the Bible that are like, well, yeah, what about this Old Testament law? What about Leviticus? Is that? It's like the most offensive thing in Scripture is that you are a sinner who was broken, and the only way to salvation is through Christ, who's done everything necessary on your behalf, and that, and that God is so full of grace and love for you that he's willing to do that. That's way more offensive than anything else in Scripture. And so people get hung up on that, but it's also the place of breakthrough because it's wild. God's grace is scandalous. It's a dual realization that we're worse than we thought. Just in case, if you think you're bad, it's probably worse. Okay, I'm just letting you know. Is it worse than we thought? And he is more full of grace than we'd ever hoped. Whatever imagination that you have, like whatever your idea is, when you think about God, it's so much better. And some of you, it's really good. Some of you is like, man, God's amazing. Praise God. It's even better. Whatever you can hold is so much better. And, and as you follow him and as you spend time with him and as he just like, and some of us, we'd learn the hard way. You know what I'm saying? Some of us a little hard-headed. takes decades. We're like, oh, man, I wish I had learned that 20 years ago. He's like, I was, like, I was ready. You weren't. You know what I mean? Like, I was, I was ready to go. But his, he, he's so good. He's so good. And so Jesus saved Saul the murderer and made him a great evangelist, made him a master church planner author of two-thirds of the New Testament. He takes John Newton, a slave trader, and turns him into a great abolitionist and the author of Amazing Grace. That's wild. And so look at Saul. God took the greatest enemy of the church with the blood of God's people on his hands and put him before kings with the salvation of the world on his lips. That's what he does. And so some of you are thinking, but what's my part? Like, what, like, what does God want to do through me? Because you're excusing why two things. You're excusing what you're thinking of your own life and your own inability to be good enough. Again, you got to like change your mind on that because you're wearing yourself out and just come to the realization that I'm not good enough <laughs> and I need Jesus and all that he has to offer. I'm going to operate out of a relationship with God based on his faithfulness, not mine. And, and, and you also need to stop excusing away context. Look where I was born. Look who my parents are. I'm not educated. I don't have influence. I don't have means. I don't have words. I don't have, and you begin to just speak to your weakness. And then God says, exactly. Exactly. The less the pedigree, the better. The more broken, the better. You're like, yeah, but I'm real far gone. Like, I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I thought this was something else today. You know, what I, mean? I don't know what your situation is. It's like, he's like, the, man, that's, that's exactly where God wants you. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, again, this is hindsight, this situation. He, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about, he's looking at his life and thinking through the lens of his moment of salvation. Paul says, God allows us to be afflicted so that we might comfort those who are going through the same things. And Paul says, hey, even your suffering, your brokenness, your sin, your past, things you've done to yourself, things that other people have done to you, God can work all that for your good and his glory, but you got to give it to him. And, and, and you got to give it to him, which means in this season, if you're facing 
certain challenges and you're facing loss and you're facing sickness and you're facing financial stress and work anxieties. If, if in this season you're thinking through the questions, man, why did I have to go through what I went through? Why did he have to leave? Why did she have to leave? Why did they have to die? Why, 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 you, know, you fill in the blank with what the hard things that you're going through. Why did I lose my job? Why did, why, relationally, why did they cut me off? Whatever the things are. Paul says, hey, God can redeem you. You got to reframe whatever it is that you're going through and think differently. And the difference is this, according to 2 Corinthians, hey, God, the thing that I'm going through that's been really hard in my, I can make it about me and it is miserable when I make it about me. Because it's like, well, my life is garbage. Or I can make it about others. And Paul says, yeah, use it. Use it. It's there for you to use to help advance his message. And, and you can have breakthrough with people. Man, if you're going through hard things, you ever been through something really crazy in your life? And when you were going through it, people tried to encourage you, but it was real dumb. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was like, bro, get out of my face. The only people that you were willing to listen to were people who had gone through the same thing that you were now going through. And you know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden when they're like, you don't understand last year, like I had that happen. And you're like, all right, cool. You can talk to me. Like, but it's like equity for anybody who's been through that moment. And Paul says, that's what that's for. It's so that you can have equity, so that you can leverage the equity, so that you can point them to Jesus, so that they can experience real freedom. And again, not hope on their circumstances, but on Christ. And so for those of us who think that we've arrived and some of us struggle with this in the church, Paul struggled with this. So Paul's like, Paul's like, hey, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I keep all the rules. You guys are crazy talking about this grace thing. Let's murder him. You know what I mean? He's so self-righteous. He's like killing people over it. And so some of us inside of the church, this, I mean, this is what we have to work on because we have a us versus them mentality. And the us versus them mentality is, man, I'm a good person. I'm a good Christian. You know, I live in my bubble. Like, let's just keep out the riffraff or whatever. Instead of, instead of having the mindset of, oh, we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. There's not a single person that you know that doesn't need Jesus. There's a war breaking out right now. Guess what? Israel needs Jesus. You know what else? Hamas needs Jesus. Like that we all need Jesus. And so like this is what this is what Paul experienced. And and I love the way that uh, it, it's just coming to it's coming to this realization that man, I I know in my own effort and in my own merit and in my own works like I'm not strong enough I'm not good enough Brendan Manning he puts it this way I love the way he puts it to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story the light side and the dark in admitting my shadow side I learn who I am and what God's grace means and Brendan says hey we have to as followers of Jesus acknowledge the fact that we need saving from something and majority of the time that is us like our our inability to keep the law or be good enough or man, I said that, did that, thought that, went there. Like, you know, and instead of, Brandon's like, hey, just address it. And, and I really believe this. I believe God wants you to get to a place, all of us to get to a place where we feel freed up from that shadow side in such a way that we're willing to communicate about it. It becomes a part of our testimony and a part of our story. And I know sometimes it's real hard, it's real raw when you're in the middle of it. 
But man, God desires to bring you to a place of freedom so that you can share it and leverage it for other people. And, and there's more. And, and there's always going to be more. So look at, look at verse 17. Here's what, here's what happens. Ananias, he went to the house. He just obedient. He's obedient. He's doing what God's asking him to do. He goes to the house. He enters it. And then he's standing in front of Saul, who murdered and imprisoned and pushed back on the way of Jesus, his church family. He knows about Stephen. He goes into the house and places his hands on Saul, his enemy. He puts his hands on Saul, and then he says, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Acts is wild. <laughs> Acts is wild. So, here, so here's this guy in the church. God's like, hey, I want you to go to this guy who's been murdering people in the church and imprisoning people in the church. And I want you to pray for him. And he's like, and so he goes and prays for him and he calls him. He's like, hey, brother Saul. And then he prays for him. He says, here's what I want to happen right now. I need you to be able to see what you've never been able to see before. And I need you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit because you can't do it on works alone. And you've been trying real hard and probably better than most, Paul. Good job, right? You're like, you're, you're a Pharisee of Pharisees. Good job. You're, you like rules. But it still doesn't work. It doesn't work. I need you, I need these scales to fall off. Here's what Ananias says to him. He says, Jesus has sent me so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just so you know. For us as a church, Jesus has sent us so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Jesus follower, Jesus has sent you so that others can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why you're here. That's what this is about. And it's easy to forget and it's easy to go through the motions and it's easy to check a box, but man, it's just not as fulfilling as being reminded of what it's all about. So seeing Jesus for who he is, being more aware than ever of who you are, how much you're loved by God, how undeserving you are of his scandalous grace and how much in need of a savior we are. Like that's exactly, we need that moment. Just like the apostle Paul had. It's like, man, what started a ministry like his? That moment. And so just a reminder today, that we all need Jesus. You're going to need him tomorrow. You're going to need him next week. You're going to need him next year. And so does the person who's, who's not here yet, person who's far from God, person who's gone through hard things. And when people do and say things to you that hurt, they offend, often they're doing it from a place of insecurity or a place of fear or a place of unknowing. Jesus says, hey, Father, forgive them. They have no idea. Would you give them eyes to see? And just so you know, the moment of your personal salvation is the moment you can see Jesus for who he is. Everything necessary works-wise has already been done. That happened like 2,000 years ago. The moment of your personal salvation, personal breakthrough, was when you finally realize who he is in relationship to you. And then he empowers you by the Holy Spirit to do what only God can do in and through your life. Let me pray for us. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather around it. Jesus, we make much of your name, and we're reminded today that it's all about you. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit, in this moment. As you remind people of the areas of our lives that we need to grow, of the areas of our lives that we need to trust you more, the areas of our lives that we so often settle for less than you really want for every single person in this room, there's more for us. And so if, if we have vision and we could see God, can we, would you just bring more clarity? Would you just help us to see more clearly? There's more of knowing you, more freedom that we need. Holy Spirit, if you speak directly to the areas that we need to grow in our relationship, it could be time spent. It could be understanding the heart of God. It could be, man, seeing people the way that you see people. That, that freedom piece attached to all of that purpose out of the overflow of freedom. God, there's more that you have for us. Would you give us over to it? If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never had a moment where you realize who Jesus is in relationship to who you are. There's no amount of religious activity, church attendance, programs, systems, disciplines, any of that that will save. Jesus saves you. He's the only one that saved you. And he did everything necessary 2,000 years ago. The moment of your personal salvation is when you realize who you are in relationship to who he is. And you're willing to go all in and say, I need you. There's a level of vulnerability attached to this moment where you realize I'm a sinner and I am broken in desperate need of a savior. I cannot do it. I'm tired. I'm tired of comparing myself. I'm tired of doing religious things. I'm tired of operating with a works mindset. I desperately want to come alive in you by way of relationship with you. And so if you're here today, the Bible tells us that if we place our faith in who Jesus says he is, but we also confess him as Lord, we'll experience that moment of salvation. So I want to give you an opportunity to confess him. I want to give you an opportunity to just say, outwardly what God's doing on the inside of you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed if you want to experience salvation in Christ surrender your life to him would you just lift your hand in the room and say that's for me I need that amen if that's you just lift your hand and just say I need it I need all that he paid for I want that amen awesome you can put your hands down and and all of us, we need to be in this same headspace, same, same thought, same, same approach in this prayer. But for those of you that are placing your faith and your trust in him, just pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Oh, thank you for the way that you love me. Thank you that I don't deserve it. God, thank you for your grace. And in response to that, God, in response to you laying your life down on my behalf, God, I'll offer up my life as a living sacrifice. You take my sins past, present, and future. You take my shame and my fear. And God, I'm tired of dragging that around. Would you take that from me? Would you give me over to a place of joy and fulfillment, a place of purpose? Would you lead me by your spirit, Lord, over my life moving forward? And God, help me to see and empower me by your spirit to do what only you can do in my life. God, same thing for your church. Help us to not be a church that's us versus them. Help us to not just operate uh, with religious platitudes or going through the motions or having systems with real, with real no heart transformation or life change behind it. God, we desperately want more of you. So God, would you do what only you can do 
in and through us as a church family. Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us? Transform us into the image of Christ. Help us to be bold. Help us to be audacious with our faith. Help us to trust you with every aspect of our life. God, help us to just take the message and the hope of Jesus into places that are unfamiliar or to places that are, uh, feel uh, scary or to places that feel... God, just give us over to boldness and a lack of fear and uh, in our faith in you. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen and amen. Can we make... Can we make a hand clap offering for everybody who chose Jesus, everybody who made a decision to follow Christ. And can we stand to our feet? We're going to end the day with worship. And, uh, and man, let's don't, before we leave, I know it's lunchtime, but just coming off of that Acts 9 story of who, what God did in and through Saul who became Paul and just redirecting our energy, our focus on Jesus right now. If we could just fix our eyes on him, if we could sing about him, if we could make much of him, and just close out the day in that way, let's sing together.